Welcome to the Jewelry Navigator Podcast, an on-the-go source for unique jewelry and arriving trends to stay ahead of the fashion curve. You'll hear what inspires the jewelers and designers I feature to create outside the jewelry box. As a graduate gemologist and your host, I'll guide you with insider tips on how to shop for, design, and care for your jewelry with confidence. To keep updated on weekly jewelry discoveries, subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator passport at jewelrynavigator.com. You can find show notes and weekly features here as well, and find daily departures for jewelry inspiration on Instagram and Facebook at Jewelry Navigator. Thank you so much for joining me and enjoy the episode. I wanted some jewelry, like art for like my office at home. And there was just nothing that I could find. Mm -hmm. So we decided to come up with some designs and then she would, she painted them for me. So I came up with the designs and then she would um, sketch them in pencil, paint them in watercolor. Hi, I'm Brenna of Jewelry Navigator Podcast. That was Julie Bishop of Jewelers Row and Catherine and Josephine. She's my guest on the podcast this week, and we're also doing an exciting back-to-school giveaway where she's generously giving away a tote bag with a cushion-cut diamond as well as a wall canvas with an opal watercolor rendering. Thanks for joining me, and welcome aboard. Hey there, that was from last week, and as promised, this episode, episode number 21, I'll be announcing the winners of the drawing. If you missed it, last week in the Jewelry Navigator Boarding Lounge, Julie Bishop of Jewelers Row and Catherine and Josephine shared her story of how she successfully runs two jewelry businesses. And that was episode number 20, Back to School Jewels with Jewelers Row Home Decor Jewelry Art. We ran a giveaway contest for one of two of her jewelry-themed decor items of either a cushion-cut diamond tote bag or an opal watercolor rendering canvas print, both with a retail value of $145, and both items are perfect for back-to-school. The tote bag with its big, beautiful cushion-cut diamond and the opal watercolor print to brighten up and add sparkle to any dorm or apartment wall. To qualify, you had to follow both me and Julie at Jewelers Row, like the post, and tag three friends. I'll announce the winners in just a couple of minutes, but before I do, I want to thank everyone for listening and supporting Jewelry Navigator Podcast. I thank all of the jewelers and designers for sharing their stories, and it's been a pleasure to share them with you. I look forward to bringing more stories and helpful tips in upcoming episodes. If you haven't heard all the episodes, in today's episode, I'm going to recap a few of them so you can enjoy a quick synopsis or create a mental note to go back and hear the episodes you missed. For the remainder of August and probably into the first week of September, I'll be taking a short hiatus and will continue with new episodes after that. I'll be taking time to take a look and evaluate where I can add and create more valuable services to you as shoppers and listeners, as well as to the artists and designers I feature. For now, let's congratulate the winners of the Jewelers Row Diamond Tote Bag 
an opal watercolor rendering canvas print. The cushion cut diamond tote bag goes to Lori Cooper. And her name on Instagram is at L Cooper Fabulous. And the opal print goes to Julie Bergstein Romanenko, who is at Just Jules LLC on Instagram. Congratulations to both Lori and Julie for winning Jewelers Row Wonderful Creations. I'm so happy for both of you, and thank you for following and supporting me and Julie on Instagram. And if you didn't get to hear Julie's story, go back and listen to episode number 20. And I want to thank her again so much for generously giving away two of her beautiful creations, the tote bag with the cushion cut diamond and the opal rendering canvas. Thanks a lot, Julie. And hop over to her Instagram feed. She has beautiful things. I love how she incorporates jewelry into home decor. So the format for the podcast has mostly been visiting with guest designers and jewelers. A few have been solo episodes where I've shared information that is probably not common knowledge for shoppers and I hope has been helpful. I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know the jewelers and designers and sharing their jewelry and stories with you. Let's get on to a few of these clips. The following are from six of the episodes, but on top of that, there are 14 others waiting to be heard and enjoyed. I met Samantha Jackson of Heavenly Vice's Fine Jewelry at a show in New York in February. I was so excited to find her, and you can hear a little bit of her story in just a second. Her episode was number 14, The Virtues of Heavenly Vice's Fine Jewelry with Samantha Jackson. Thanks so much for joining me, Samantha. I'm speaking with Samantha of Heavenly Vice's Fine Jewelry. And if you haven't seen her jewelry, it's really unique and unusual. I grew up in New Orleans. It's a place where you're constantly surrounded by not only beauty, but also by history. And so those two things are something that I incorporate in multiple ways in all of my jewelry, either by the use of some uh, antique items like the love tokens that I use, which are antique coins that people have taken out of circulation and embellished with engravings or enamel. Um, I have a lot of those that I use in my collection, or I will use something that makes a reference towards New Orleans, so um, items that look like the wrought iron that you see all over the place in um, decorative fences and whatnot. And I have a line I call the Audubon Collection, which is basically uh, my nature collection. So I have a lot of flowers and leaves and Everything I make, there's some thread back to my childhood in New Orleans. I just found that it really has helped me fill a void in my life where I I couldn't really be as creative as I wanted it to be. So I I don't really consider this work. Um, Everything about it, except for, like, the bookkeeping aspect, but (laughs) nobody likes that except for accountants. But um, everything is, is fun for me. Like, I love... You know, like I mentioned, I love learning about new stones. I love looking for love tokens. I love getting love tokens. I actually love polishing silver. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, I don't feel like I have 
to make the time for it because it's just something that, honestly, jewelry is the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning and the last thing I think about um, when I go to bed. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear because I think a lot of yeah. us are in that same boat. <laughs> Many of the designers I feature are women, but there is one who captured my attention with her innovative concept of using parts from late model luxury and sports cars like Ferraris, Maseratis, and Porsche that sustained minor damages from her husband's auto body shop in Los Angeles. Christy Shimke of Crash Jewelry is from the third episode Q&A with Crash Jewelry founder Christy Shimke. It's interesting to know that so much, um, so much effort and and work goes into making them. They're beautiful pieces. Well, thank Did you. Did you ever think that you'd be making jewelry from cars? No. <laughs> I bet you never thought. You never would, in a million I, years. <laughs> it was just one of those those things that happen in life, I guess. You know, it's um, it's definitely a point where my husband's career and mine merges. I guess. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking about rivets, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's just no. I never, I never ever thought that this is what I would be doing ever. For everyone who's new to the crash jewelry concept, can you walk us through how a Ferrari or a Maserati becomes a cuff or any other pieces of jewelry? Sure. So. Okay, so a car comes into the shop, and uh, let's say you bring your car in, and we have to replace the fender. So um, Mm -hmm. most body shops throw the metal away, and um, it ends up, you know, in the trash or landfill. But what I'll do is take the damaged uh, piece of metal, cut it up into, you know, smaller pieces, and from that point, um, you know, using a template, uh, I will cut out, let's say I'm making a cuff, I'll cut out a blank and, um, you know, whatever design somebody orders or I decide upon sort of dictates which direction I'm going to go. Um, but from that point, you know, there's a lot of polishing, a lot of sanding. Um, we're, we're bending the metal. It's aluminum and steel. Um, we have to use uh, what we call cold connections, which is uh, rivets, uh, when we attach anything to the car metal itself because it, we can't use an open flame because it will ruin the car finish, the car paint. And that's one of the selling points of the jewelry is that it is original factory paint. Um, We don't work with cars that have been repainted or older classic cars. It's important to me to help shoppers understand the proper terminology and common misconceptions with jewelry terminology and concepts. One of my pet peeves is referring to diamonds as chips, the little ones, and the misnomer of using semi in combination with the word precious when referring to gemstones. There are some other tips and information about terminology and how to understand different concepts and the materials used when making fine jewelry versus fashion jewelry in episode number 11, Chips are for lunch, not diamonds, and other helpful jewelry tips. 
Okay, so what makes metals used in jewelry better than just regular metal? And is one better than another? If it looks like gold, then is it? Right? These things can be confusing. And what about gold and silver plated jewelry? What's the difference from actual gold? What about the gemstones? Are there really ones more precious than others to be called semi-precious? If the diamond's set in a halo around a center stone and on the sides of a piece, an item of jewelry, especially rings, if those are small diamonds, are they even diamonds or are they just small pieces or diamond chips? So here's the scoop on what the difference is between fine and fashion jewelry. And while you'll only see chips served on sandwiches and not in jewelry, (laughs) jewelry can be divided into two main categories, fine jewelry and fashion jewelry. It's really helpful to understand what you already have, but also to be able to determine what you want to purchase in the future and whether or not it's going to be what we call fine jewelry or fashion jewelry. When people see small teeny diamonds as accent stones in rings or jewelry, they assume that they're not real. Well, they're real, but what what are they? They can't see them. They're very small. Those teeny tiny diamonds that people call chips, they actually have a name. They're called melly, and that's M-E-L-E-E. It's any diamond or gemstone, for that matter, that's under three and a half millimeters. Mark Knobloch of AKI Diamonds and Jewelry generously shared so much information on diamonds that I had to make two episodes. Mark is a third generation diamond specialist in New York's Diamond District. Mark and I spoke during the late afternoon while he was on his way home. So there are sounds of the city's busy commute, which I think make the episode even more charming. He helped clarify a few of the complex concepts when shopping for a diamond from parts one and two of Diamonds Demystified with Diamond Industry Insider Mark Knobloch. And the way certificates start out, and it could be a long explanation, but in short, in the old days, as we'll say, um, one person could think a diamond looked of a certain color, certain clarity, and that could be like the buyer, for example. He could say, I think this diamond is this color and that clarity. Um, the person selling it might think otherwise, and the two of them would have a discussion. Um, the lab report came in sort of as a tiebreaker. It was a, a document that uh, talked about the diamond's color, clarity, measurements, etc. But it was like the tiebreaker. So, with the with the presence of a certificate, didn't matter what one person thought a diamond was color and clarity wise, and what the other one thought. Here was a lab certificate that said what it was, and people placed a lot of importance in that document as they do today. If somebody is trying to sell me a diamond or discuss a diamond with me, I can get an idea of what it might look like from looking at the certificate. But to purely know how the measurements look um, and, more importantly, how they interact with each other, because that's a whole other thing. It's not just one measurement, but how it interacts with others. Unless I look at the diamond, I can't accurately assess that. And there's one measurement, like, for example, you can have... um, you know, without getting complicated, one measurement could be so out of what people would say it should be. 
but then another measurement could be either where it should be or, or out of whack the other way, and the two combine and compensate for each other. It's, it's such a complicated product that people understandably get confused. People in the trade get confused, and we regularly in the trade have conversations when we look at diamonds like, wow, look at this. This is so much different than I thought it would be. And now I see the diamond versus the report. So people should basically buy a diamond that they find beautiful. Diamonds have just a beautiful sparkle. They're a wonderful way to celebrate life's special moments. Um, the way they're, they're formed in the earth, um, there, there's, again, without getting complicated, it, the chance of a diamond coming from the innermost part of the earth to the surface as a diamond is very rare. The diamond has to travel up from the innermost part of the earth through the layers of the earth at the right speed, um, and each, at each level, there's different pressure and different temperatures. And the diamond can't go too fast or too slow through the levels. Um, the, the, the pressure for a certain amount of duration has to be the right uh, pressure, the right temperature, etc. And the diamonds that reach the, the surface are pretty rare. And I liken that to two people. They're born, they have their lives, and then the conditions exist for them to, to meet, come together, fall in love. So I like to think that the diamond, where its formation was a long process that was very tedious, uh, is, is, is like people meeting. People are born. Birth is being a father, I, I know, is not a guaranteed thing. Uh, you know, baby's creation is not a guaranteed thing. A healthy baby, but then you have a life and there's, of course, all the things being considered being a parent and bringing people to adulthood and then they meet somebody else and the conditions have to be right. They might meet somebody they don't they fall in love they fall out of love etc so for people to get to the point where they're getting engaged it's very special and diamonds have i think a similar path and i think the diamonds celebrate that very nicely i love all jewelry but have a special place in my heart for colored gemstones and especially when they're big rare unusual and beautiful i really take notice like the jewelry made by California Girl Jewelry by an exceptional mother-daughter team in San Francisco. You can hear a little bit about their story from episode 10, Champagne, Rare Gemstones and Jewelry with Denise Forbes of California Girl Jewelry. What could possibly be better than having a glass of champagne while admiring beautiful and rare gemstones with jewelry settings to possibly set them in? Well, that's how California Girl Jewelry treats their clients and their customers. You walk into their beautiful boutique and you're treated to a glass of champagne and gorgeous, amazing gemstones. And our goal is that when you walk down the street, someone's going to see you and say, what gemstone is that? And hopefully, where did you get it? So each gemstone that we source is special in and of itself. There's something unique and um, extraordinary about it. So truly our jewelry is one of a kind. That was Denise Forbes of California Girl Jewelry, the daughter of the mother-daughter duo of California Girl Jewelry. I decided that I wanted to really be a part of this business because of how much I loved the jewelry and the the jewelry that my mom was making, I felt was just really 
really different than what you would find in most jewelry stores, which are predominantly diamond-focused. So um, I took some classes at the GIA, and uh, we became partners. So if we were to walk into California Girl Jewelry Studio, take us from the time we would walk through the door to leaving with a new sparkly treasure. Well, we're always excited when we have a walk-in client, not a um, an appointment. And so a lot of times I just kind of get up and introduce myself and ask if there's anything that they're looking for. A lot of times they find us on Yelp. And so they have something in mind, whether it be an engagement ring or um, a piece of jewelry or they've seen online that they want to come in and check out. And I will show them what they're looking for and then I'll kind of get an idea of what their taste is and start to introduce other pieces of jewelry that they might not know about. You know, right now we are so in love with spinels. I try to mention spinels to everybody because they're really special gemstones. And usually during this time you can hear a pop and my partner has opened a bottle of either rosé or sparkling. We always ask what they want. And so you drink, I drink. So it's, it's kind of nicer, it's more relaxed, and it's, it's, it's that kind of environment. It's one-on-one. There's a lot to know about colored gemstones. So there's that you know, interaction that we're going to have where I'm going to tell you all the cool things. And we also have some easy chairs so that if you have someone with you that's not interested, uh, they can um, sit down and, and read a book and also have a glass of champagne. Um, and so then we just start with either we're going to do some sort of custom piece for you and we talk about what that process is like or we start trying on jewelry and getting to know each other. Do you have any exciting new stones that we should look for coming up on the website? We have, sure, we have a beautiful red sunstone that's all shiller. Shiller is natural occurring copper that's shaped like a a platelet shape, and the sun um, and light reflect wonderfully off of it. Um, We also have, you know, I've been posting a lot of these uh, purple pearls. It's a new find. They're amethyst but they kind of look like a sparkly opal. Uh, so there's a lot of, we made a ring that I haven't, uh, I haven't posted yet. I can't wait to see that. That sounds so interesting. I've never heard of anything like that. And our, our coolest, newest is a Bikili color change garnet. Uh And Bikili is known for this particular pocket of garnets. For many, many years, people thought garnets didn't come in blue, every color but blue. Meanwhile, as a consumer, prior to really getting into the business and going to school, I thought garnets was just the maroon sort of garnet that you're used to seeing. But they come in every color, and garnets are great because they have a high dispersion. They're very sparkly, and they're hard. So we have this beautiful color change garnet and the I posted it once the color changes it's hard to capture in my boutique the color changes but it is spectacular and it's rare so that's going to be that's going to be pretty much our most expensive piece when it comes out but you know what it's Usually we price to sell because we want to we want someone to have this beautiful piece 
capturing the essence and revealing the stories and meanings behind the styles and designs reflected by the significant cultural changes experienced during the industrial age in America is the gift Hugo Cole offers through his exclusive vintage and antique style jewelry. I was lucky to catch Hugo Cole of Hugo Cole Jewelry in the summer when things were a little slower, so was treated to an exclusive tour of his factory, workshop, boutique, and museum in Harrisonburg, Virginia. He's made a career from researching and discovering the tools and methods used to make the first jewelry created by the early methods and tools of the industrial era from the 1800s. The tour was recorded as the audio for the podcast, so you can hear the sounds of the machines, along with ambient music played at the workstations and in the museum, which you can actually visit and tour in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Here's a clip from episode number 16, America's Vintage Jewelry Legacy with Hugo Cole of Hugo Cole Jewelry. So, this place is, we call this the hub vault. That's what it would have been called if it's 1820. This room would have been called the hub vault. Now it's not, so it's not a contrived term. Okay. The things on the, on the shelves are called hubs, and the reason we call it a vault is because we keep them safe. Uh-huh. This is the really expensive part of this um, beginning of jewelry manufacturing. So the technology that's represented in here is where we have just stepped from a world where everything is an original to a world where now we're doing art by means of mechanical reproduction. Mm -hmm. And it's a drastic change in culture and the way people live. A hub is an actual size, three-dimensional rendering of what the finished piece is going to be, except it's done in steel. It's not a plate in a book. So when I tell you original artwork, this is the original artwork. As an aside, there's always this great argument that takes place. a lot of times I get some this really great hate mail and the hate mail goes like this. You're screwing up the marketplace for vintage and antique jewelry because you're putting all these copies out here. And technically that's that's inaccurate. The only original is the hub. Everything after that is a copy. So there was no one original filigree ring made. There are copies and copies and copies being stamped out. This is the original, the hub's the original. Everything after that is a copy. When you look at some of them, of these really intense filigree pieces like this, and on this, I mean, they're all over the place in this room. Mm-hmm. You still you really start to get a sense of what is the person's skill level. Because if you're cutting on something like this, and you make your know, 99% done, and you make a mistake, the whole piece is ruined. Mm-hmm. You now have to start over. Trying to find a human being can take hammers and chisels and do this. It's kind of a, this has become a really difficult thing anymore. People have a tendency to, to forget that when the artisanal craftsman runs into the industrial age at the very beginning, handcraft is at its zenith. Mm-hmm. Ever since we had this technology, we've used it very intelligently to take tasks away from us to speed things up so we can do capitalism, so we can make money. Mm -hmm. 
but we've also lost skills. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm spending my whole life trying to go back in time so I can, because it interests me to have these skills. I probably won't live long enough to do this. Mm -hmm. These guys who are these craftsmen, right when the industrial age hits, craftsmen have never reached that since then. This is the zenith of craft. Everything since then is something less because we're always using technology to take things away from us. What was happening in Providence, because Providence is a seaport. And so these ship captains up there uh, are early American entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And imagine you're a ship captain and I'm a ship captain. We've got 10 of the ship captains in here with us. You just finished your route and I just finished my route. All the other ship captains have finished their route. We all have the same thing. For lack of a better way to describe it, we got a chest full of bullion. Mm-hmm. We've got some coins, we've got ingots, we've got rods, we've got bars. Mm-hmm. Well, your metal and my metal look pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. So if I steal yours, it's not really identifiable. It's just bullion. Mm-hmm. They don't have the ability to mark metal the way we can mark metal now. Mm-hmm. The other problem with it is it just has the value of bullion. It has no greater value than that. Remember, these guys are really entrepreneurial. And it's that what they do is collectively, they start bringing silversmiths and goldsmiths to Providence to take this metal and turn it into value-added goods, okay. something that's worth more than just the metal. Mm-hmm. Spoons, mm-hmm. buttons, buckles, hollowers, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So now we have a concentration of metal and we have a concentration of craftsmen. Those were all short clips taken from the different podcasts, 20 behind this one, that I've recorded since March. I've really enjoyed getting to know and learning about these jewelers and designers. Go back and hear the complete episodes at Jewelry Navigator. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Thank you so much for joining me today and for every episode so far. And I want to thank Julie Bishop again of Jewelers Row for the wonderful giveaway that we celebrated today with our winners from Instagram, L. Cooper Fabulous and Just Jewels LLC. Thank you for joining me in these first few months of the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to them and learning about jewelry and the designers that I visited with, I'd so appreciate if you would leave a review in iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the podcast on. And I so thank all of the ones who have left reviews. I really appreciate it. It gives me a barometer to know how I'm doing and that you're enjoying learning about these these tips and the stories of the jewelers. And be sure that you reach out to the jewelers and designers that I featured either on their websites or the Instagram. If you're thinking of creating a special custom-made piece of jewelry or interested in learning more about them, please reach out and tell them that you, you want to touch base with them and create something special or just let them know how wonderful they are and that you learned about them on Jewelry Navigator podcast. Like I said, there are 14 other episodes to go and listen to, well, now 15, and hear other jeweler stories. And the two I didn't mention in the clips are R. Simentov and 
Kiara Bonner of Wade & Willow Jewelry. I also want to thank all of the jewelry stores and other jewelers that I've mentioned through the podcast, one of whom is Plant Jewelers, and they're in Swansea, Massachusetts, as well as the Jewelers Bench in Hershey, Pennsylvania, Paul Michael Designs in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Thesis Gems in San Francisco. Until I return in September, reach out and say hey to me on Instagram or I'm also on Twitter and Facebook as well. I'd love to hear from you. You can always email me too and that's at brenna at jewelrynavigator.com. As always, remember, fasten your jewelry first before helping others with theirs. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.